When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Art of Charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today we're talking with my friend Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver, a parable with some great business and life lessons and principles that we can all apply to great effect. Today we'll discuss why the world isn't dog-eat-dog, and it's also not dog-eat-dog, but pretend it's not dog-eat-dog, and pretend you're friendly on the surface, but really look out for number one. We're gonna have some rules to apply here. The five rules of stratospheric success and how they apply to your business and your personal life, how we add value or how we can add value without giving away the bank and hurting our own business or our own interests and how we give but not get obsessed with the results coming back to us. There's lots of AOC core principles and overlap with social capital concepts here in this episode. So enjoy this one with Bob Berg. And with that, welcome to The Art of Charm. We bring together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. If you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the toolbox where we discuss things like body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking, negotiation, and everything else we teach here at AOC. In the US, just text CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. Everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the right questions. All right, here's Bob Berg. Bob, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it, and so does the AOC family. Tell us what you do in one sentence. I help people create and communicate value in such a way that they create the environment for them to receive in abundance as well. Right on, okay, so, and that's kind of a mouthful, and I think you've been in the game for a while, so you've probably seen the meaning of some of those words degrade over time, right? The value and abundance and things like that have largely, or at least in part, been co-opted by kind of the self-helpy people who are like, and visualize the Ferrari in your driveway. And it's fine to visualize that Ferrari as long as you're willing to go out and do the things it takes to get it as well. Right, <laughs> yes, well, dang, never mind. You can't just visualize it and expect it to show up. <laughs> right, yeah, I think that's probably part of the problem, but we won't pick on all the millennials again, because I am one. <laughs> But I like the book, The Go-Giver, and I think this is kind of, would you say this is the foundational work for what you speak and teach? It really is, Jordan. The five laws that are presented pretty much are the premise, the foundation for everything, whether it's for business or life or better communication skills, becoming a better influencer, salesperson, whatever it is you do, those five laws, I think, really, they set up everything else. Gotcha, and I notice you have different flavors of the book on the website, things for different people who are aiming at maybe leadership or different types of things inside business, and we'll link to those in the show notes. I think we're putting the cart before the horse here. I wanna make sure that we explain what the go-giver is, what the concepts are, and I love the five laws as well, because one of the first things that I noticed when I was reading the book, by the way, it's an airport read, and what I mean by that is you can plow through it while waiting for a plane if you have a delay. I think it took me a couple of hours because I ate something in the middle, right? It's a really short read because it's a parable. Is it a parable or is it a true story? That's what I thought. Oh, no, it is It is a parable, uh, co-authored with John David Mann, who happens to be just a fantastic writer. I'm much more of a how-to. I'm step one, step two, step three. So I was able to team and honored to team with John, who's a, a great writer and storyteller. One of the concepts in the book, which I loved seeing this just in the beginning, and the world is not dog-eat-dog, dog, and it's also not dog-eat-dog, dog, but pretend it isn't dog-eat-dog, dog, be friendly on the surface, but really look out for number one. And I see a lot of people doing that today where pre-recession even, it was hustle and it's dog-eat-dog dog and Wall Street stuff where I was in certainly was the case. And then after that and now, I kind of see a lot of folks acting like, well, it's still dog-eat-dog, dog, but I'm gonna post videos on Facebook and on social media about how it's all about abundance and sharing, but really, if I have a chance to cut you off at the knees, I'm still gonna take it. And this book is kind of saying, no, not only is that wrong, 
but you will lose if you behave in that way. Well, that's true. And you will lose. Not that there aren't some short-term victories, and, you know, that will happen. But, yeah, it's really difficult to live a happy, fulfilled, successful life. And when I say success, I mean that financially and in the other ways that success can be measured, whether it's financial or physical or spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational. It's hard to be a real nasty person and really do well. It's just the world isn't set up for that to happen in its natural state. But when people are brought up to believe that, that's what they see on TV and in the movies, they kind of get an idea that that's what it is. And so one of the neat things and the great initial feedback we got when the book first came out was from the hugely successful people who said, you know, this is exactly how I've lived my life and conducted business, and it's what I've tried to tell people. And so I think the early adopters were the people who already were doing this long before the book came out. And Joe, the protagonist in the story, the uh, protege, you know, that was his mindset. Yeah, it is dog eat dog, but I'll act nice in order to get what I want. There's something about that that's not congruent. And you can't be a son of a gun at work and a nice person at home. It doesn't work out that way. You are what you are. How you do anything is pretty much the way you do everything. Yeah, I love that. Where is that from, by the way? Because I know I didn't invent it, but I say it all the time. You know something? I've heard that saying for so long. I remember T. Harv Eker saying that. I spoke at one of his conferences, and he said that from stage. I've read it in a number of books, and the only reason why I am not attributing it to anyone is because I don't know who thought of it. I tend to, if I say anything that I think is even remotely from someone who I can name, I name them. Yes, likewise. But I've heard that so often, I don't know. Yeah, when you read enough and you watch enough stuff and you see misattribution or non-attribution, it becomes impossible. I'm sure we'll get 10,000 emails telling us who did it and those will all have different people. You're absolutely right, it will. And there are so many things like that. The old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I have heard that or read 10 or 15 different people who made that up. The person who actually did, his name was Cavett Robert. He was the founder of the National Speakers Association. And he actually is the one who devised that. And yet I've seen it attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, who I know lived before him. So I don't know. I mean, I know it was Cavett, but I don't know how it got back to Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, and there's a workbook on Amazon with the title, all right, well, whatever, massive digression, most people don't care, and <laughs> so we'll leave it there. <laughs> but I love that you've got these five rules of stratospheric success. You know, I feel like these rules make a lot of sense. They're interesting because you didn't just make them up for the purposes of the book. There's some talk about how this works within human nature and they're congruent with human nature. I'd love to go through these laws and talk about, one, why they're true, just so we don't have to accept them at face value, because some of us are skeptics, especially when it comes to personal development and things like that, and then talk about how we can use them, because they're only useful if we use them. Sure, absolutely, let's do that. And you know, Jordan, the five laws are, they themselves are based on an overriding premise of the book, which is simply that shifting your focus from getting to giving. Now, when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently creating value for others. And that doing so is not only a nice way to live life, do business, operate, what have you, but it's a very profitable way as well. Profitable in terms of financial profit or profit just in terms of the degree of happiness you attain. So what's the first law, the law of value? What is this law? This one says that your true worth, and this is true worth in the business sense, it's the law of value says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Now, when you first hear this, it's a little bit counterintuitive sounding, almost counterproductive in the business sense to hear, give more in value than I take in payment? I mean, how am I supposed to stay in business that way? It sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy. So we simply have to understand the difference between price and value, and this is the key. Price is a dollar figure, it's a dollar amount, it's finite, it simply is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something, to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, philosophy, what have you, that brings so much worth or value to someone that they will willingly exchange their money or time or energy or what have you in order to have this thing of value and feel great about it, while at the same time 
you profit greatly. And, you know, in the story, we use the example of a, a restaurateur whose name is Ernesto Iafrate. And he actually began selling hot dogs. As an immigrant, he began selling hot dogs from a push cart on the street. And, you know, hot dogs are commodities, right? I mean, they are what they are. One hot dog may taste a little better than another, but basically when someone's buying hot dogs from a street vendor, you're just buying a hot dog, right? Yet, what he did is he made the buying experiences, the customer experiences so eventful, so special, so amazing, that people kept coming back. Kids came back, he made it a festive atmosphere. Business people would take their lunch hours there instead of going to a fancy restaurant. He created an environment around him that was just absolutely so special that he took the commoditization out of the hot dogs. He gave them more in value or use value than what he was receiving, yet of course, his cost of goods sold, the hot dogs, the buns, the condiments, the upkeep of the cart was a lot less than what he was charging. So he was also making a healthy profit. It's the same when he built his restaurant. It was a high class, expensive restaurant. You came in there though, you were treated like gold, you were special, and not only was the food fantastic, but the presentation was exquisite. The wait staff knew when to pay attention to you and when to leave you to enjoy your meal. Everything about it was just so perfect that you may have spent a couple of hundred dollars to eat there, but you felt like a million bucks. And so you came away feeling, uh, you know, better off getting more in value than what you paid. And of course, uh, Iafrate also made a profit. And that's really what the law of value is all about. And it's the same as an employee, by the way. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be in business for yourself for this to be the case. When you are working at a corporation or a small business, big bit, what have you, the fact is you may not be an entrepreneur, but you are certainly an intrapreneur. And your job is to add more in value to the enterprise, to your customers, which happen to be your coworkers, your supervisor, those who you supervise, your employer, the ultimate customer, to give more in value, use value, than what you're being paid. And this is what keeps you employable and makes you unexpendable. Is this a simple rule to just over-deliver wherever possible in the things that you do? It is, and it's to find creative ways to do that because it doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be about spending more money in order to do that. There are probably hundreds of ways to communicate that additional value that keeps you from being a commodity. And let's face it, you know, and we know, especially in business, it's a commoditized world nowadays. And so what ends up happening is when a potential customer can't see any difference in the product or service, it goes down to who has the lowest price. And that's not a good way to run your business, trying to sell on low price, unless your last name is Walmart. They do a pretty good job of that. But for most of us, if we sell on price, we're looked at as a commodity. When we sell on value, we're looked at as a trusted resource. Right, that makes sense, right? Because this whole show is in large part accidentally serves that purpose. The price is free, but the value hopefully, at least to the people who invest hours of time listening to it every week, hopefully the value is high. Well, yeah, by the very nature of the thing, they are getting more in value than what they're paying. But you know what? Even if you were charging for this, it would still be worth much more in value than what they're paying for it. So I don't want people to think that when we say being a go-giver, that we mean that you're giving away something. That's fine in and of itself. But really what it means is a go-giver tends to be very profitable. And I know you are in your actual business. You're extremely profitable. A go-giver tends to be very profitable because they are so focused on value that they're able to charge generally higher fees than their competitors. And everyone's happy. You know, in a free market-based environment, Jordan, where where no one is forced to buy from anyone else. People do business with one another willingly. There are always, and I will credit this to one of my old mentors, Harry Brown. He said, there are always two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits. Because really, profit is nothing more than an increase in happiness based on exchanging one situation for a better situation. And that's why people do business with one another. Yeah, the second law, the law of compensation. This seemed a little bit counterintuitive in some ways until I till I sat and thought about it. Oh, well, thank you, and I appreciate that. This one, the law of compensation, says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us 
that the more people whose lives you touch with this exceptional value, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. We utilized the story uh, in the book about Nicole Martin, the CEO. She was a teacher. She loved her job, loved her work, loved the kids, loved the parents. They loved her. But she kind of felt like, well, you know, the money wasn't really enough for her to be comfortable with and the bureaucracy was a little bit hurtful and and so forth. And so what she did is she found a way to expand her value, leverage her value, expand her reach. And she came up with a computer software company that taught kids how to learn. And she ended up serving millions and millions of people rather than hundreds of people. She served a lot more people with exceptional value. And as a result, she made a lot more money. And it's the same for anyone, whether we're talking about an accountant or a banker or a chiropractor or a dentist, or we're talking about the person at work who is promoted into a leadership position, they become a great leader and they're serving more and more people, their income is also going to grow. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm.
Right, and the reason this was counterintuitive, by the way, because the concept is simple, and I can see people thinking, how did he not get that? I was thinking more scaling in a business being important, which is obviously the scaling is important, but it just has to be taken in balance because you can easily scale and serve a ton more people and serve each of them less well than you did before. Ah, right, right, right. And then you're in trouble, right? Uh Uh-huh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because you can enter a minefield where you go, oh, I do one-on-one and everyone loves it. Well, I do 10-on-one and people really love it. Now I'm doing a 1,000-on-one and I have no idea who any of my clients are and my service is terrible. So you have to be very, very careful with that scaling. Number three, the law of influence. This one sounded to me a little bit Pollyanna in the beginning, and I wondered if it was really practical. Tell us about, help us understand this. Oh, no, I love that. And I love talking about this law. It's the law of influence. And the law of influence says that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. You hit it right in the head. It sounds Pollyanna at best. You know, it sounds destructive at work, right? You know, but you think about it, Jordan, the greatest leaders, the top influencers, the most successful salespeople, the greatest marriages is all about placing other people's interests first in terms of looking for ways to please. Now, let me qualify this, and this is the important part right here, and I just hope people take this in or there's gonna be lots of mean tweets out there, okay? When we say place the other person's interests first, we absolutely do not mean you should be anyone's doormat or a a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not at all. It's simply that as Joe, the protege, learned from several of the mentors, the golden rule of business, of sales, of life, is that all things being equal, people will do business with, refer business to, allow themselves to be led or influenced by, want to be in relationships with those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by really moving from what we call an I focus or me focus to an other focus, looking for ways to make their lives better, easier, more fulfilling, whatever it is that you do. Sam, one of the mentors suggested making your win about the other person's win. And when you can do that, you are now really building these relationships and you've got so many people who feel good about you. They see you as the go-to person. You know what I'm saying? But again, there's nothing nothing self-sacrificial about it. It's not doing something that's ever gonna harm you. Anything you do should always be congruent with your values. You look at someone like Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And what I believe was the underlying premise of his book was where he said, ultimately, People do things for their reasons, not our reasons. Yeah, the greatest influencer, the greatest leader, the greatest spouse or parent ask themselves questions. They say, how does what I'm asking this person to do align with their goals, their wants, their needs, their desires? That doesn't mean you harm yourself. It doesn't mean you stay in a bad, abusive relationship. It doesn't mean that you take gut from it. No, it means you're always looking for ways to add value to the lives of others. This one quickly became my favorite because the core of what we teach at AOC, especially the live programs, is getting people to know, like, and trust you, reaching upward, reaching outward, and and then serving those people. So this one, at first I was like, what the heck? What is this garbage doing in here? And then I was like, wait a minute, this is the best one. Number four, the law of authenticity. This is one of those words that people are like, ah, don't say authenticity, turn it off, right? I know, I know. And you know what, just after the book came out, that's sort of when that word started to take on that. Uh, so we can blame you for that then, that's your fault. I'm gonna say it's my fault. No, it, uh, it's almost when the book came out, that word was kind of getting overused. And I almost, uh, if there was a word, a synonym for authenticity, uh, maybe we would have used that, I'm not yeah. sure. Because it is the right word, it's just a word let as you say has got, gotten so overused. Yes. The lot of authenticity simply says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. And in the story, Deborah Davenport shared a lesson that she learned early in her sales career, and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are all very, very important, They're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your authentic core. 
Now, when you do, when you, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel very comfortable with you. People feel good about you. They know you, they like you, they trust you. They're much more interested in being in relationship with you. Showing up as yourself is really good business, which kind of begs the question, why do some people then not do this? Why do you show some people instead show up as sort of a um, phonus balonus? <laughs> yeah. The default answer is, well, they're trying to pull one over on it. I don't think that's usually the case. I mean, there's some people, oh, it's a big world. There's all types of people. We need to be aware of that. But no, I don't think that's usually the case. I think usually when someone doesn't really show up as themselves, it's really because they don't have the self-confidence to do so. Right. They have not really embraced the true value they bring to the table. And I think as human beings, we all have two types of value. One is our intrinsic value. Just by being here, we do show up with value. But we also have what I call market value. And this doesn't have to just be in the business sense, but I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, characteristics that allow you to add value to others, value to the marketplace in such a way that you will be rewarded for it, financially or otherwise. It might be that you have a natural or learned sense of true empathy and you're able to communicate that caring for others. You might be a fantastic listener. You might be a great connector with others. You might have a technical skill that you just have that just is fantastic. So whatever it is, you know, we all have strengths and we also all have weaknesses. And some of our weaknesses we need to mitigate, some we need to, you know, we can ignore. I don't run long distances really well, but at 58 years old, not planning to run a marathon, I really don't care. So I'm <laughs> yeah. not gonna work on that one. And then there are other weaknesses we need to really turn into strength, but we lead with our strengths. When we do that, we operate from a sense of confidence, and when we're confident, we can be ourselves, and we can be authentic. Right. There are many people that would misuse this. I mean, look, a lot of people would not be well served by saying whatever is on their mind. Oh, that's not authentic, though. And that's a great point. That is such a great point. I think people sometimes they interchange the words authentic and transparent. Yes. If you're at work, let's say, OK, and a, a customer comes in or a coworker, or someone and you have a bad back. Right. And they say, hey, how are you feeling? Now, if you're transparent, you say, oh, my back is killing me. I'd rather not be here. And you know what? I think it's because of the stress I have in my life and the blah, 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 blah. That's transparent. That's not necessarily authentic. Authentic means you show up as you're supposed to when you do your job. Okay. Now, if you're at your chiropractor's and he or she says, how are you feeling? Now it's very authentic to say, I have a bad back. But there's a time and place for things. And we don't always have to say exactly what's on our mind. That's transparent. And of course, hey, it's great to be transparent when it's appropriate. Authentic doesn't mean we have to tell everyone exactly what's on our mind. It also doesn't mean that if someone says something that annoys us, that we have to say to this person, you know, you are the most annoying person I've ever met. No. Instead, you handle it tactfully and diplomatically and you get your point across, but you do it in a way that shows your class and is aligns and is congruent with your core value of treating people respectfully. Now, rule number five, the law of receptivity. This one, I wonder if people see how important this one is because if I had read this a few years ago, I would have said like, eh, okay, I got it. But I think this one might actually be, if you can list them in levels of importance, this might be towards the top. Tell us about the law of receptivity, and I would love to bounce some of this stuff off you, because I had a hard time with this in my business and in my personal life for a while. And most of us do, Jordan. We receive more comments from people while they were able to very naturally tap into the first four laws. The fifth one was challenging for them in that it made them rethink their basic premises. And it's really because of the messages that we receive from the world around us. First, the law of receptivity simply says, the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. This really means nothing more, and as Pindar, the main mentor, went through with Joe in the story, when he asked him to breathe out and hold that breath to the count of 30, right? right. Joe tried, but he, you know, holding an outgoing breath to 30, very, very difficult. Yeah, very tough. Joe said, I can't do it. I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. And Pindar said, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? 
And Joe just laughed. You know, that's impossible. Right. You can't, you know, you can't be more healthy. You've got to do both, right? You've got to breathe out and breathe in. Well, of course, absolutely, that's what we have to do. And it's the same with giving and receiving. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin. All the giving of value in the world to everyone around you, it's fantastic, it's great, but it's all for naught if you're not willing to allow yourself to receive in like measure. The challenge is we get so many, not even mixed messages, we get so many negative messages about money and about abundance and so forth from the world around them. And, you know, for all of us, we all live by a set of belief systems. These are basically unconscious belief systems. It's a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television, movies, popular culture that kind of plants these ideas into our minds. Uh, Prosperity Authority Randy Gage calls them memes or mind viruses, right? They're little things that kind of get in there. We don't even realize that that's what's running us. Really, our minds, our belief system, we could call it an unconscious operating system. We grow up, we live our lives with ideas about the way things are, these subjective truths that we hold, and we don't question them. And so when we hear things and see things like, oh, you know, people who make a lot of money, they had to get there by being crooked or they had to take advantage of others or wealthy people built their wealth on the backs of others and and all sorts of nonsense. Now, again, we live in a big world. There's all sorts of people. So there are people who do bad things. But here's a headline you never read or you never hear. Corporate CEO treats people fairly. Why not? Right, like gold, yeah. It doesn't sell. It doesn't sell advertising. It doesn't get the eyeballs. But we hear about the Enrons and we hear about the Tycos and the WorldComs because those are sexy and they buy into the narrative that so many people want to believe. The fact is, the more free market a society is, again, meaning people don't have to do business with each other, they do so through their own choices, the more free market an economy is, the more necessary it is that if you're going to get wealthy, the only way you can do it is by providing value to people who willingly choose to do business with you, providing that value to a lot of people, placing your customer's interests first, coming at it authentically, and being willing to receive. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. For a list of all the amazing sponsors and discount codes, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to Bob Berg. This was crucial for me, and it's crucial for everyone. You can't fight it. And if you're not doing this, if you're not allowing things to come back to you, you're only really working half the equation. I realized that after a while, but then I started to think, okay, so why are so many people doing it? To what end are we ignoring our ability to receive, and tell me what you think about this. There's a victim or martyr mindset that a lot of people have. I'm talking about us as humans, right? We thrive on others feeling sorry for us sometimes, sometimes, because of the uneven exchange that some of us produce in our life by constantly giving, and I get a lot of email to that effect, especially when it comes to personal relationships and often in professional relationships at work. Oh, I do so much for this person, I do so much for this company, and I never get anything in return. And I started to wonder, are people setting this up this way subconsciously, but deliberately? They sort of trade reciprocity and the ability to receive value from others. They trade it for sympathy. Well, that's one payoff when someone feels, for whatever reason it is, that that's how they are going to profit, if you will, from a situation. And remember, going back to Harry Brown's definition of profit, profit is simply an increase in happiness based on exchanging one situation for another situation. Now, we might think, well, how could a person who feels put out and taken advantage of be happy? Well, you know what? That's their payoff, in a sense, is that feeling of sympathy from others. So we all do things because we feel that it has the best chance of bringing us happiness. But it also has to tie into our belief system and the way we see the world. There was a book I read years and years ago that made a huge difference for me in this regard. It was written in 1960, you may have read it, by Dr. Maxwell Maltz called Psycho-Cybernetics. I've heard of it, I actually have it. I don't think I've ever read the whole thing now. I bought it in college or something. Sure, it's absolutely a work of brilliance. 
And while the title sounds kind of psycho-cybernetic, it simply means mind-machine, right? And it really shows how the mind acts as a self-directing mechanism. It's been decided for us, of course, through the belief systems that have been given to us certain truths. And our mind, like a self-seeking missile, will aim toward that, toward that subjective truth, what I call beliefs. And if things get off track, it will fix it, you know, it will adjust. And in some cases, it means that if you don't feel you are worthy of, or if you're supposed to, let's say, be wealthy or successful or happy in a relationship, and all of a sudden you're in a healthy relationship, you'll do something to unconsciously, of course, to sabotage that, to get you back on the actual target. Of course, this is all unconscious. Nobody does this on purpose, but this is the way human beings are. There are certain aspects of human nature and we need to understand these aspects of human nature both in ourselves and we need to understand them in others in order to be able to tap into them and to be successful. Now, what about folks who might be thinking, all right, it's easy for you to sit here, Jordan and Bob, you know, successful businesses, comfortable talking in public and going out and being speakers. Yeah, we're sitting here talking about being a giver and giving value. What about people who think, I'm in the beginning stages of this, I can't afford to do this? Well, again, giving value does not necessarily mean financially. There are all sorts of ways to provide value to others. They tend to come down to five what John David Mann and I call elements of value, and they are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And you can show all you can communicate, all five of these, in business as an entrepreneur, as an intrapreneur, as an employee within another business, as a spouse or partner, as a parent, as a friend, and in whatever way. You know, excellent simply means doing well what you do. It means you show up the right way. It means you know what you're talking about. It means you treat people with kindness and respect. It means you speak with tact to people. Consistency means you show up the same way, authentically, all the time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. People know who they're dealing with, and that's something that's very valued to other human beings. This dates back to the cave person days, but let's just say people who are consistent, really, that in and of itself provides a lot of value. There's attention to detail. Whatever you're doing, do it with attention. Make sure you're focused on the other person. Make sure you see other people as people, as human beings, not as an end to your goal. There's empathy. I mean, empathy is just one of the most important people skills there are. And I say skill because most people don't have a natural sense of empathy as much as they can have a learned sense of <laughs> empathy. And, you know, we may say, well, that's simply putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And to a degree it is. But the fact is also most people have different size feet. And we don't know necessarily how another person feels. But the person who's empathetic can communicate that they understand that that person's feeling something and that they're there to help that person. You know, and so how do you do this in business? You be that source of information. You be that source of connections. You discover what people find to be of value because you know that value is always in the eyes of the beholder and you help people get what it is they're looking for. Right on, okay, and whenever we do these discussions of value, I inevitably get a message like this. I don't wanna discount what this person is saying because at some level I also agree with their critique, but what about people like teachers, nurses that are paid too little but unquestionably provide value? Does that conflict with the laws here? Because it seems like, in a way, it might. It doesn't, but it's also difficult to accept sometimes, and that's this, okay? Let's take again a teacher, and this is what we actually use this as an example in The Go-Giver with uh, Nicole Martin. We might say a teacher is extremely underpaid, and we know how important teachers are. So in that sense, absolutely. I mean, I'd love to see teachers making a lot more money. Now, we also know teachers don't operate within the free market, truly, because most schools are government schools. They all get paid basically the same amount based on whether it's seniority or what the thing, but they're not necessarily judged on performance. If education was more free market based, the good teachers would be making a lot more money and the bad ones would be making less and they'd be out of teaching. 
and it would actually raise the level for everyone. But let's put that aside because that gets too much. Okay, so a teacher makes a certain amount of money for the job they've taken on. They've willingly taken on that job. They hopefully enjoy teaching or they shouldn't be doing it because I'm gonna say you shouldn't be doing something that you don't enjoy, okay? So sometimes we have to for a while, but you know what I mean, okay? So they get paid a certain amount of money. It's not the best money in the world, but it's not the worst money in the world either. There's a lot of jobs that pay less. They work X number of days. They get, you know, a couple months in the summer off. And generally speaking, they make a living based on something they voluntarily decided to do. Uh, it, It is what it is, okay? There's, in the marketplace, you get paid on a couple of things. You get paid on how well you serve and how many people you serve. You also get paid on what the market deems that value to be and how many other people could also do that. It's why a doctor generally gets paid more than a nurse. They're both important. Nursing is hugely important. Oh my goodness. But there are more people, there's more of a supply of nurses than there are of general practitioner doctors. There is more of a supply of general practitioner doctors than there are surgeons. So surgeons make more money. There are a greater general supply of surgeons than there are neurosurgeons. And so it also goes like that. So that's why Nicole in the story, while as a teacher, she didn't feel she was making the kind of money she'd like to make, she found a way to leverage her value and increase the number of people whose lives she touched. And just to let you know, she was based on a real person, actually a woman I used to date many years ago named Annette. And Annette was a teacher and she was kind of the same as Nicole. And she felt frustrated by the same things Nicole felt frustrated by. So she decided to open up a part-time tutoring service to serve more people and make some more money. She was so good at it that she started getting referral after referral to the point that she decided to leave her teaching job because she was making more money as a tutor. She built her clientele up so big that she couldn't take on all the people herself and had to contract and hire other tutors. And she ended up becoming more the salesperson who got the accounts and ended up having a very, very nice business. So again, while we might like to say, well, teachers and nurses and firefighters, they do such a great job. They do. They do a fantastic job. But they make a certain amount of money based on what they're doing and how many people they're serving and based on the value that the that the market gives it. Right, so developing a rare and unique skill set, even when you already have another skill set that may be less rare or less unique but still valuable, will bring your value up. Exactly, yes it will. Econ 101, right? Well, it is, and that's the thing, and that's difficult sometimes for people to accept. But here's the thing, we need to look at the world first as it is, okay? Then we can always make changes but we might think it's really unfair that gravity works as it does, okay? But we know that gravity works. I guess it's good when it keeps us from floating aimlessly up into space. It's not so good when we fall off a seven-story building. But gravity works. You know, when people were looking for a way to, let's say, to invent a machine that would fly, okay? They didn't say, oh, isn't it too bad about this gravity thing? No, they first learned the laws of gravity and, of course, the laws of aerodynamics, and then they created a device that would utilize those natural laws and, you know, be able to have the characteristics of a floating machine in space. But we first have to look at things as they are, and then we can look at ways to change. Now, this is a common critique that we get, especially when we discuss things like social capital, which is our course on networking, which talks a lot about giving value and providing value to others along with the core Art of Charm teachings. A lot of people struggle with the following. How do we give but not think about the results? Because aren't we just lying to ourselves or to others about our intentions? Because yes, we're giving value, yes, we're helping other people, but I still want something back. Well, here's the thing, we're human. And we all have these feelings and it's okay as long as we understand them and control them and operate in such a way that is congruent, okay, again, using that word congruent with your values. So let's go with this. We go into a movie, we watch a movie. Understanding, let's say we go into to watch a James Bond movie, okay? We go into that movie understanding that it's not real up there. 
And that what we're going to do is we're going to suspend our disbelief so that we can enjoy the story, right? I mean, we know that as the terrorist points a gun at James Bond, he's not really going to make some wise crack. He's going to be scared to death, right? But we suspend our disbelief because we want to kind of enjoy ourselves. Well, you know, it's the same when we're in the networking process and we're giving value to others. We know as human beings, we are self-interested creatures. Again, it's a law of life. It's human nature. Self-interest is what allows us to thrive. It's what allows us to create more human beings. But what we can do is rather than try to deny this self-interest, we can suspend this self-interest, okay? We don't have to deny it because to deny it would be to lie to ourselves. That would be inauthentic. What's more authentic is to say, you know what, I know I'm a self-interest, but you know what? I'm going to suspend this right now. I am going to give value to others because this is the right thing to do. I'm gonna give value to others because I wanna make a difference to others. I'm gonna give value to others because this is the best way, the most profitable way to do business. It's just the right way to be. It's who I am, and because it's who I am, it's what I'm gonna do. And you know what? You're not going to receive from everybody you give to, and that's okay too. But what you're going to be doing is you're gonna be planting so many seeds of goodwill, of great will. So many people are gonna know you, like you, trust you, want to be part of your life, that what you're doing is you're creating what we call a benevolent context for your success. So feel assured that there's no need to deny your self-interest. Instead, simply suspend it. Right, to defer it so that you can focus on serving other people. Yes, exactly. Defer it so you can focus on that other person, which is what you should be doing. Now, where do we draw the line? You hinted at this earlier. Sure, some people aren't gonna reciprocate value and that's okay, that's life. A lot of folks, when learning this, and it's always a struggle for me to explain this concept as well, we run into the certain people where we're just like, listen, I've helped this guy a ton, or I feel like maybe I'm being used by this person, but I don't know because I'm not keeping score, I'm constantly deferring my self-interest to give to other people. Where do you draw the line and how do you make the decision, okay, this is the type of person I should no longer associate with because they really are only, they're a taker. Exactly, we call these people go-takers. A lot of people think the opposite of a go-giver is a go-getter. No, no, it isn't. We love go-getters because go-getters take action, right? We want people to be both go-getters, people of action, and go-givers, people who are focused on creating value for others. What we don't want people to be is go-takers. These are the people who feel almost entitled, if you will, to take, take, take without having added value to the person, to the process, to the situation. And these are generally not people we wanna do business with. Now, there's times in the business context, someone is your client or customer, they're a go-taker. Well, you still focus on providing value to them, but you also make sure that you're careful too. You make sure you protect yourself. Again, nothing about being a go-giver means you're a doormat. But when it comes to, you know, you've referred people to this person, here's a choice you have to make. Let's say you referred business to this person and they have served people really, really well and people who you referred them to, they were really happy about that. Well, you might say to yourself, hey, you know what? Even though this person isn't going to necessarily give value to me directly, they're actually providing value to me indirectly by taking care of my friends or people they've made me look good, what have you. But it might also be, this is just a person who, hey, you know what, Jordan? They're gonna take, take, take. They are not going to even be thinking about giving to you or to anyone else or whatever. This is a person you simply lovingly release from your life, okay? I mean, they're not someone you need to do business with. Again, nothing about being a go-giver means you're a doormat. Perfect, thanks, Bob, this has been wonderful. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wanna make sure you deliver? I think in a sense, and we've sometimes talked in terms of financial and sometimes in other areas, and like any success principle, it goes across the board. But you know, one thing I like to keep in mind when it comes to the financial aspect and when we talk about value, that money itself is really simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which really means the focus needs to be on how you can please, how you can create an experience for another person. And I remember years ago, and this is probably 35 years ago, maybe more, when I first started to get my legs out from under me in sales and was starting to do okay. And I was working for a company at the time, I was selling a rather high-end product, 
And I came back from a sales appointment without a sale. And I remember being sort of ticked off that the customer, you know, didn't get it, right? He didn't understand why this would be so good for him. And there was an older guy who kind of took me aside. And he said, you know, Bert, can I, can I tell you something? And I said, sure. And he says, first of all, you know, when the shooter misses the target, it ain't the target's fault. In other words, what he was saying is, don't blame this other guy for not getting it. You didn't communicate it correctly. But he also knew why I didn't communicate it correctly, and that's because my focus was on myself. And what he said to me was this, and I will never forget it. He said, Berg, if you want to make a lot of money in business, actually said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he continued, you'll get a reward. That reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you'd like. But never forget, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It's not the target itself. Your target is serving others. And that shift made a huge, huge difference for me in all areas of life, not just business, but in all relationships. Thank you so much for your time and, and really appreciate this. I like the book. Like I said, everyone listening, it's an airport read. People can plow through it and then you spend the next you know decade and a half trying to apply it. But consuming the content, that's the easy part. And if you think we went over the whole thing because we went over the rules here, it's not. There's more to it and it's a lot easier to remember when you read the parable and you apply this stuff. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing this with the AOC family. Ah, uh, thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate everything you do, Jordan. Good stuff here today from my friend Bob. I really do like the idea, and of course, if you're a longstanding fan of the show, you've heard us talk about adding value, not keeping score, not worrying about the results, being open to reciprocity and, and receiving reciprocal value. So there's a lot of stuff here that I think it takes a minute to learn, a long time to apply, and a lifetime to master. So if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Bob on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as the book and the other resources mentioned on the show. You can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the cheat sheet for this episode and we'll link to the show notes right on your phone. I also post tons of stuff on Twitter that never makes it to the show. Articles, insights, and other ways to engage with me and producer Jason. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp and Art of Charm live program details. Bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it even a little bit, get in touch ASAP, get some info from us. You can plan ahead and we can go from there. Also, the Art of Charm challenge, step-by-step -step on becoming a better networker, a better thinker. It'll make you a better connector, of course. Theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444 here in the U.S. We'll also email you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show and regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes are on the website. Those are by Robert Fogarty and I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.